the coach ends up without really knowing any better again, kind of inserting themselves in the development of the athlete and the coach ends up kind of directing where they think the athlete should go. Obviously, sometimes this can be effective and dare I say even a lot of times, right? But I think the athletes that are, especially in like in track and field and the more technical disciplines, the athletes that were allowed to kind of grow and evolve and change um, on their own are more artists in a way, if that makes sense. That was Kibway Johnson, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Uh, whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle. I And not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So uh, I've been utilizing the airbands. I really enjoy it, both the uh, the feeling of training of while well, I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. Uh, they've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Uh, SimplyFaster.com also has B Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro, and this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another show. Thanks for being here with us today. In my time as a coach, I've been really intrigued in thinking about technique and skill acquisition. And I've learned that technique and skill are more than just a set of instructions that coaches give or this final model to shoot for through this planned progression of drills and cues. And those, I'm not to say that those things can't be helpful, and especially for athletes uh, who are of lower level performances or lower level abilities or those who are unfamiliar with a particular sporting skill, learning it for the first time. Those can definitely play a large role for athletes. But once an athlete gets to a more advanced level of performance, and particularly in sports skills with a lot of technical nuance, drills and all these progressions and planned out models lose their luster. And it's at this point that it really pays to become more attuned to the actual interaction of the more uh, subtle and deeper level interactions between an athlete and their environment, between the athlete and their implements that they're throwing, or the athlete in the ground, the athlete in gravity, being able to sense and coordinate all these things on a deeper and more holistic and complex level. Uh, that's the epitome of artistry. And it's the thing that I think we um, that's the thing we see on the ESPN top 10, for example, that, that blows us away or in watching a, a highly tuned athlete who's the master of their craft. And it's that line of thinking that I've been doing a lot of that makes me so excited to have our guest today, Kibway Johnson. Kibway is the director of track and field at Spire Academy in Geneva, Ohio. 
and he's also the founder of 40th Performance. Prior to Spire, Kibway coached throws at the IMG Academy in Florida, and prior to that, Kibway was an elite-level thrower on the international level. As an athlete, Kibway established himself as one of the United States' best hammer throwers, and his personal best of 80.31 meters in 2011 was the best mark an American hammer thrower had made in over 10 years. Kibway is also a versatile athlete, owning the world's best or all-time best hammer throw, discus throw, weight throw combination of distances. Kibway has personally worked with some of the most well-regarded, well-regarded coaches in the United States as well as internationally. Kibway's coach for his final 10 years was Dr. Anatoly Bondarchuk, who, if you've been listening to this podcast for some time, you've probably heard his name pop up. Uh, Dr. Bondarchuk or Dr. B greatly influenced the development of Kibway's own methodologies. Kibway's coaching philosophy is built on communication, and he cites his experiences as a husband and father with learning how to become more effective as a coach. Kibway oftentimes talks about the Tao of the hammer, and on the show, we're going to get into Kibway's philosophy of coaching. Uh, this show goes far beyond just implications for the hammer, a very niche event, but I love talking about the hammer because it is such, it is so unique in terms of a absolute high velocity uh, event, a metal ball screaming around an athlete as they throw it well over 200 feet out into the sector. And when things are going uh, at such a high velocity and there's such room for individual differences as well. We have so much to learn from a just general uh, technical acquisition and standpoint and all the things that can unlock artistry in one's sporting skill. On the show, Kibwe will talk about his experiences as an athlete, particularly with Dr. Bondarchuk that helped him uh, develop as a thrower and then in his eventual career as a coach. He'll talk about the unique high velocity and cyclical elements of the hammer that demand that relationship to the instrument and the things that we can take from that uh, symbiotic relationship that can transfer to other skills or even life itself. Finally, Kibway will speak extensively about the idea of drills versus holistic skill performance, and then the many, many subtle elements such as awareness that go into enhancing that holistic performance for athletes. So many times we just want a simple list of answers, a simple list of things to do. Uh, this is not that show. But that's what makes it amazing. And it was really awesome to have Kibway on. He gave me so many things to think about, and I'm really grateful for the conversation we had. And let's get on to it. Episode 275 with Coach Kibway Johnson. Kibway, it's awesome to have you on the show. Uh, could you start by telling me about your evolution as a coach and athlete and what led you to your philosophy, the Tao of the Hammer? Ooh, well, first, thank you for having me. Um, seeing your podcast here and there and shared by people that I'm close with or have good working relationships with. So this is pretty cool. Um, personally for me, like how I kind of set about my Tao of hammer path that it, it, it really kind of came down to trying to find the words to explain like what I was feeling when I felt my best. Um, so I wasn't seeing that anywhere. I was, I was seeing a lot of how to's, how to throw, how to do this, how to do that, what position your body should be in, what angle your feet should be in, all of this stuff. And like, that's not to say that none of that is helpful. It is to a certain degree. Um, but it's clear, at least to me, my opinion is it's pretty clear that it's not that helpful for greater, uh, I don't know, 
greater kinesthetic awareness with with the event itself you know what i mean so like in my shall we say advanced age <laughs> and and my eyeball eyeballs when i watch other people throw it's clear that it's very like it's robotic it's mm-hmm. here it's there it's clear and watching them that it is very much about cues it is very much about positions and when you do that the ball doesn't move efficiently it doesn't move well the body might maybe um but it ends up just being really robotic and the name of the game is the efficiency of the orbit of the hammer and when that works well then the whole thing works well um really long-winded answer but that's where i'm at <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so i'd imagine that you had a long journey with um perhaps coaches who were trying to give you more mechanical cues get to this position uh as was there any like big time um i guess mentors or coaches either way that led you one way or the other like people who were telling you i guess not to single anyone out but like or periods of your life where you felt like you were being overcoached and or people who led you in a path that allowed you to feel and have more of a harmony with the the hammer and what you were doing well, so I mean, prior to my last and most recent coach, Dr. Anatoly Bondarchuk, it it basically came down to <clears throat> coaches and people like we only know what we know, or we don't know what we don't know, kind of thing, right? So like, it's it's never been from my perspective, it's never been like a put down or anything on anyone else, or even on myself, right? Because I'm part of the the learning journey in those moments too. Um like we just didn't know and you know i think the flip side of that is like for the most part everyone's always doing the best that they can or what they think is best for you so like for me it's it's like you know it's all up like there's 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 nothing wrong there um i think what really helped in my journey with dr b in particular is um english is like his i don't even know how many languages <laughs> english is like his fourth language or something right that he taught by himself he taught himself by reading the dictionary so like that's awesome there, there was a lot of coaching with with very little words and i think that really helped me to kind of develop what was going on for me because like sure he could share some words um <laughs> but the words that he was sharing typically were pretty much the same words over and over again. <laughs> so, so that left a lot for me to kind of fill in the gaps and, and to fill in what it is that a, I was thinking he was asking for and B what it was that I was trying to do myself where, you know, the difference being it's, it's pretty typical that a coach will use a whole lot of words but in 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 all of those words there's no space for the athlete to fill that with what their own natural you know instincts are i guess instincts or nests or anything else what makes that athlete as an individual amazing kind of gets stripped away with a ton of words in my opinion yeah i i met dr uh shoot it might have been seven years ago now it was at jay DeMeo's uh, central virginia sports performance and i could barely actually understand him as he was giving his presentation i think i might have said something to him after and i don't think i could understand him either and <laughs> i just yeah. try to be imagine like being 
it's almost like, yeah, you have to almost understand even more the underlying, the underlying nuance behind what's being said or communicated, not just necessarily even the language. And it's interesting to me. I, it almost seems like, um, coaches should at least a few times in their, you know, maybe practice a season should almost have to do practices where they're not allowed to use words to, to instruct athletes or something like that. I don't know. It just, it would be interesting yeah. if that was not the form of communication for a few practices, just to see what happens, just to see how athletes take that out, especially for it's So if you're a coach, it's like you, you feel obligated to say something all the time. And, and so I think that'd be really interesting to have like a, no talking or a different language, a different form of communication day. Yeah, totally. I think that would be great. I mean, so at my previous job in Florida, like we would have just a ton of campers roll through in the summers. And because it was fairly established, like international, um, base to train and camp and go to school. Like there were a few times where I had kids, I had some from like Japan or, you know, countries where their understanding of, of English at that time, like wasn't really there. So like, I basically, I would have a camp with a kid for an entire week. And like <laughs> the most that we can understand each other was like, hi, you know what I mean? And those were some of the funnest weeks I had the whole time I was <laughs> there in terms of like, of, of having camps. Um, it's for different reasons, but. It, it was always like a really engaging experience when I had a camper who didn't know much English. <laughs> it was, it was hard to work for me also to be honest, but you know, it was fun. Yeah. It makes me think a little bit too about, I always highlight this study. It was, um, I don't know if it was like a German study or what, maybe you know the source better than I, but Franz Bosch has talked, talked about it in one of his books where uh, there was a group of discus throwers and one group, was um they were coached by a elite level coach every throw or or whatnot and then another group was all they knew is how far they threw and that's it and the results were something like the coach group improved a little bit more in the short term but over as the weeks went on or months the the uncoached group surpassed them and the idea was that the coach group had like almost almost like it's the positions they use the positions as the shortcuts but they weren't able to unlock like the highest level technique they had, if that makes sense. I, I'm curious if you've seen that study or, or are familiar with that. I'm sure it probably makes sense given what we're talking about, but do you have any thoughts on that? I I have not read it, but I feel like it is ringing bells um, specifically. Well, and like, and I've, I've looked over some Franz Bosch stuff and like, yeah, and my wife's is, is big time into him too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes perfect sense. So, I mean, for me, like, so I like to talk about the nest and like what, what is kind of special about each individual athlete. And like, and that's, that's just it. The coach ends up without really knowing any better again, kind of inserting themselves in the development of the athlete. And the coach ends up kind of directing where they think the athlete should go. <clears throat> Obviously, sometimes this can be effective. And dare I say, even a lot of times, right? But I think the athletes that are, especially in like in track and field and the more technical disciplines, the athletes that were allowed to kind of grow and evolve and change um, on their own are 
more artists in a way, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So like oh, yeah, everyone knows like an athlete that you can see and it just looks a certain way. And, you know, the, to the lay person, it's like, oh, wow. Right. Like typically athletes like that have like longer training ages or, you know what I mean? They started when they were kids and they were just kind of allowed to move. And I, and I think like at the end of the day and why like that discus example is so good is like, they were just allowed to move. And then within their own natural movement, they figured out how to make it go farther. Not because they're reading a book Mm -hmm. and, you know, using a checklist of the 18 positions to be in and what angle the discus should be at the end. No, I mean, all that's cool. Like looking back on the experience that you just have, like, I love all that stuff too. I'm pretty nerdy in that way, but I'm also like, also just throw it all out and then I'll talk to you after. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like let's hop in the ring and then just get to it. Yeah. I always remember, I have these memories from my early experiences in track and field in high school. Um, when I would, I was a high jumper primarily and then did some other jumps and hurdles and, but just sitting around the high jump apron, you would hear people give like cues to their, you know, like you'd hear teammates even giving cues or coaches. And I always remember thinking to myself, like, where did you come up with the, like the thought that this was a good idea <laughs> and maybe, and that not really in the sense that I was like judging those people, but more just what they were saying didn't. I was just wondering where they got that from. Like, where did you get this idea that this was how you jump, that this is how you do this? Because I was think I was contrasting it early on for me as a 16 or 17-year-old. Like, I, w- I figured it out myself, basically. I didn't even really watch it. Vi- I kind of would watch some photo sequences. I didn't understand it a lot. I just, I was always trying to dunk as a basketball player and just, <laughs> just kind of endlessly played around on the high jump mat until I just figured out what worked. And I guess I always just thought to myself, well, I, I don't know. I just kind of figured this out on my own. Why do you need to say this and this and this to, to get that result? And so I, it was just always intriguing to me um, yeah. just from a young age, like uh, just when, when and how to say what and when you do it. Um, I, Kidway, you said something earlier I did want to get back to. Well, before I ask you this, um, actually, do you feel like the hammer specifically? And, you know, the hammer is a, such a niche thing in, in the grand scheme of track, let alone all sports performance, right? But I think there's something that's so special about it in that it's like, I, I like thinking about the idea of arcs and circles and spirals and in movement. And like the, epi- the hammer is the epitome of that. I, would you say that, I mean, in everything that you um, like, like the idea of flowing and kind of a harmony with whatever you're, you're working with, like in the throwing events, would you say the hammer is like, probably the one where if you if you try to go for positions or mechanics the most that you'll have the worst result compared to maybe some other events where you think you could try to manufacture a little bit i hope that makes sense uh i i think it makes sense but you can stop me if i'm not on the right path there but i i wouldn't i wouldn't judge it in terms of worst results i i think clearly looking back at um hammer athletes and like athletes in their relationship with the hammer um you can throw far while you know looking like a flaming mess (laughs) (laughs) um and and then you know and that kind of you know inevitably like the drug conversation would come into play there um but if we look at and so and you know maybe here maybe this is where biomechanists can come into the conversation too is like like you can um measure 
right? Your time in single support or your uh, releasing or release velocity. Like, so for me, I would argue that those things aren't as good as someone who has that ability with the hammer. Um, but they still might throw far, you know? And that's, and that's just kind of the thing too, that like when I have these conversations, we kind of come up against it. Right. So like, on one hand, there's nothing, there's, there's, it's not to say that there's anything wrong with whatever particular path you choose to take while throwing. Right. Like people don't want to think about the hammer this way. Cool. I mean, just have fun. Right. At the end of the day, that's what it is for me. Um, but the more that I am talking about, there's more and more people that are interested in this kind of conversation about hammer. Okay, great. Have fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so like, let's talk about it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I, you, it's not like a, it's not entirely result based. Sure. Uh, the, the thing that I was going to ask before, so that was a little segue just with the hammer versus just other events. And I mean, I believe any sporting movement that the more could all everything that you could do possibly do could adhere to uh principles of fluidity and the harmony with whatever even if it's not a ball like the ground right. and gravity and or if you're swimming water tension like it exists everywhere um and swimming was one of the events or the things i've worked with that i saw it very clearly like if, if um an athlete would just slap the water as hard as they can every stroke they're not really going to go they're going to waste a ton of energy energy and get hurt like there's always that fine-tuned relationship with whatever you're doing and that uh, that really helped tune me into just the idea of of coaches uh, i think coaches are so likely to like to use positions for a lot of things maybe it's the simplest or the easiest and anyway what i was uh, where i was going with all this though is you you mentioned positions and that they they can be helpful and so I remember when I had Ben Askren on the show, he was talking about with his wrestling academy, teaching kids like the fundamentals, but then as they, as like a base, but then as they kind of got going, that's where he really wanted to feed the creativity in. Um, Although I also think about the, like you said, the artist early on who has to figure it all out. So would you care to expand a little bit on like when like positions is probably okay or or coaching positions is probably a a better idea or will, will work or pass versus when it's just not going to be a good idea? You know, to be honest, I'm kind of like still working through that. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. So like in a way, like my first answer is like positions is, is tremendously helpful and, um, for beginners, right. Mm -hmm. Day one hammer throw to, to use my events as an example it's you're probably not going to be successful with a kid when they show up and you say, okay, here's a hammer. Okay. Now do nothing. Right. And, and I'm very, very aware of that, which is also why it's kind of funny to me and why I still say it. (laughs) So like there, there is an importance to kind of teaching like very, very base level. Um, how do you move kind of thing? Um, but, I, but also there's a part of me that's like, okay, but like, but who says like, why, why not? Why can't I give a hammer to a kid and, and then you say, good luck. <laughs> um, I've never done that before, but I gotta believe it would be pretty effective if, if a kid was, was 
so into the event and they just kept going at it and going at it and going at it. Right. It just completely removes my opinions on like, on what a thing should be. Um, which by the way, I don't like saying should anyway. So it, it's one of those things that like, it's, it's, it, it, it can work both ways. Like there's definitely, you know, a bit of a foundation, you know, <laughs> where should your kind of your feet be in order to start a throw? If I ever have an exper- uh, experiment with a kid where I don't say anything, I'll, I'll be sure to document it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'd love to hear that case study. If you end up doing it. Honestly, maybe I should like use it on my kids. I'll use, I'll use my kids. <laughs> yeah. That's how old like are your kids, by the way? Uh, Brooklyn's nine and Ruby just turned six. Awesome. Yeah. That's I'm, watching my kids in that respect they're not throwing the hammer but like just whatever they do like i really try to turn off anything that would want to tell them anything like yeah like my son i was just throwing him (laughs) wiffle balls he's three and he likes to just step step towards the ball like and then swing instead of keeping his feet planted and i just being stupid said hey you should keep your feet planted but it's like by telling him that i'm kind of i'm denying him the chance to explore it's like he's not going to figure it out especially once you start throwing a harder ball so I, I was thinking about that today, like just wh- how will he transition from stepping towards the, the ball as he tries to hit it to eventually figuring it out? And yeah, so I'm, I'm always and I wonder, like, what if I gave my child like a, a, a hammer to throw if he was watching hammer throwers all the time? Like, I think things like walking or throwing are so or just like a baseball type throw are so almost like wired in um, that it's, it's different than like swinging a, a metal ball around yourself. But if if we from the time we learned to walk, we were swinging metal balls around our body, you would think that they would probably wouldn't take a lot of coaching either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they would just they just kind of move and you'd be like, why is that so beautiful? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you can tell, I mean, you, you know, you look at, you know, hammer throws over history, the ones that all started, you know, around 10 or earlier, like it is beautiful to watch, um, you know, which is. Americans don't tend to start that early. Americans typically don't start till they're, you know, college age. I was I was in college. Um, but something that's really nice is is now. So you know, I'll drop some names. So Rudy, who just took down the American record um, this past season, he started right around that age. Beautiful to watch. Bonner mm-hmm. McCullough, he started really young. Beautiful to watch. Yeah, anyway, those are my two. Those oh, are my no, two it's... American examples. I'm sure there's other ones too. And and honestly, those those are guys that have happened to throw pretty far, right? I'm sure there are other ones, and, and you know what I mean. Guys who have have a beautiful movement with the hammer, but like you know, if you don't if you don't throw very far, then it just doesn't <laughs> get seen, which is unfortunate. But like that's that's part of it, and that's why like and that's another thing too with like Dallas Hammer and what I call the <laughs> I'll call it the push force because I like comics, the Flash Speed Force. And, um, my thing there is like when an athlete is essentially connected to that feeling and they can maintain that through the throw, you can have that feeling no matter how far you throw, you could throw 20 meters, you can throw 90 meters, you could throw fast, you can throw slow. The speed doesn't matter. It, all it is, is that, um, connection with the energy is essentially what it is and so and that's a 
fun thing to kind of think and talk about too, right? Because like it, it's assumed that if you throw far, you have a connection, or if you don't throw far, you don't have a connection, and that's hogwash. Yeah, I. It's almost like, and I've thought about this: the idea that um, coaching an event or even a skill, like strength coaches, listeners who might be more just interested in sprinting or jumping or change of direction or just you know some more, um, I guess some of the core sport primal sport skills that exist. I always feel like, and especially myself as a jumper, like there was a certain type of feeling that I feel through my foot spiraling up into my body when I hit the timing. I mean, it's it's funny because it's a jump. Like no one probably thinks about this except for like maybe a few dozen people. <laughs> but like, what does it feel like coming up through the foot, the force when you get into the ball of the foot at just the right time when that mm-hmm. ground gives its energy back? And what does that feel like? And yeah, like you said, you can take that into just about anything and so what i was thinking about as you were saying that is it's almost as if um i mean yeah like you said positions athletes can work with them and still get good results um but it's almost more important this is something i've been thinking of is that we don't like it's almost like building a, a sequence of awareness and when athletes have a library of feelings then they can use that that allows them to be a lot more robust like like how does this this is what this should feel like and then once they have that then they can extrapolate that out in a variety of situations. Whereas otherwise you're kind of relying on something outside of yourself a little bit more often. Mm, right. So it sounds like you're saying like, like in, you know, in the moment on any given day, any given meet day, competition day, you know, we're different. The, the human body is an amazing and an extremely complex thing. And so to, I think the best example is so, and why I don't like cues as a general idea is to teach someone to have their body in a specific situation so it impacts the event is great for that particular day. But the next day, the feeling that they received from doing that cue that you gave them is different. It's going to be different for almost <laughs> innumerable number of reasons. You know what I mean? Um, least of which is like just flat out emotions, right? You're coaching, uh, you're coaching teenagers and college kids. Like it might not even be physical. It's just going to be mental. They're not, they're just not going to be there. They're not going to feel the same. So the thing is, is like, yes, I think cues are um, not the best way to go. But if it's, if it's something that's used more dynamically and it's like, okay, well, look, so this is kind of a bit of my personal philosophy. It's like, what do we, what do I need to do to help you move the ball the best you can move on this particular day right now, as I'm watching you, what can I do to help you do what you need to do? You know what I mean? Having, having seen them practice before having like having seen the move before. Um, and so this is where I get into, like, I started calling hammer a, a movement riddle. And honestly, it might be, dare I say all throws or maybe even all track and field. Like it's, it's a, it's a movement riddle because like that it's, it's up to kind of yourself slash the coach to figure out how to move the thing 
most effectively because it does change on a daily basis. <laughs> gotcha. So you're saying that um, I I never um, really thought about it that way, but it, it does make sense. Like, it, like one day you could have a coach give you a certain cue, idea, analogy, something to feel, and then you could go out a week later and you're trying to find that analogy and it's just not this. I do find it just doesn't click. Yeah, it's it's not the same sometimes when the person who is teaching me it isn't there too. <laughs> yeah, um, it's so. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Um, yeah. So how uh, would you say? So it's funny because I have all these questions and I, I feel like just um, you know just talking about this. There's so many things to chat about, especially too with like, I mean the Tao Te Ching, which I actually still need to get to reading, but like the first verse, right, is like that which can be explained is not the Tao. So it's like, well, this will lead to very complicated <laughs> conversations, and you know, yeah. I, I think that's why it's hard for some of this stuff to truly catch on because it's not like it's not a list of things or it's not yeah. easily. Uh, replicable list of things and people want easily replicable list of things but that's well and it's like it's kind of like human nature like humans want to be they, they frankly they just want to be told <laughs> <laughs> and, and so and it's hard it's 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 a bit of an uphill battle to say but a you know I'm not going to tell you B and if I, and if I were the one to tell you, it wouldn't be as effective as if you just figured it out. And so, you know what I mean? And, and like, and my role here is to help that. I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not going to participate that, you know, but it's like, it's, it's a, it's a theory slash like best case scenario. Do I coach like this on a daily basis for the most part? But like, there is a lot that it just doesn't, it hasn't quite, that it's not like it's it's me on a daily basis kind of thing, but um, but a perfect world, yeah, it would be. I wanted to take a break from the show and briefly share with you the difference that performance herbalism can make for you. Several years ago, I had Logan Christopher, CEO of Lost Empire Herbs, on the show to talk about uh, hypnosis and mental training for athletes. Uh, while talking to him, I realized he also had an herbalism company. So shortly thereafter, I used the Phoenix formula, which was my first product I bought from them. I had great results with it, not only increasing my energy and decreasing my need for coffee and caffeine, but I also noticed that it was making an impact on my lifts and my weight room numbers. I was having a great training experience. Shortly thereafter, I also got into the Shiliagit resin as well as other herbs. And I don't look at supplementation the same way. I'm a strong believer in what Logan and his company are doing in looking for a natural resource to boost human performance. If you want to check out the herbs that I use personally from Lost Empire Herbs, you can head to www.lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. There you can get 15% off your order, and they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Definitely check them out. Let's get on back to the show. Yeah, I like, um, I think about everything that, um, I guess you could say, like if you're in the private sector and you're trying to sell someone coaching or a program, it would be really hard to sell that program saying, this program will teach you to have more awareness and figure things out yourself. And you're probably going to be confused a lot, but it's all a journey. And like that, as opposed to the program, that's like guaranteed, you're going to jump this much higher yeah. and follow these steps. Exactly. And this is, you know, this is the standard you need to achieve to be X, Y, Z. And it's not, I mean, again, I do believe in like key performance indicators and like all the stuff in the transfer of training and that, yeah. that kind of thing. But <laughs> in terms of the actual process and, and, and technique, that's, um, 
And and I've I've done presentations where I, I go into this. It's almost like you have the masculine qualities and feminine, and the masculine is like categorizing, transfer trainer, KP, training, KPIs. But then we treat everything in coaching like it's that quantity. <laughs> Uh, quantitative like it's all a list and it's like well no as soon as you kind of start to draw the line and get into the actual execution of things you have to start thinking from a very different mindset you have to kind of throw the the um all the all the listing tendencies out and it's a hard break exactly to make exactly and like and that's where the kind of magic of coaching and frankly being an athlete lies is like because both both are needed, right? Masking, feminine, you know, yin yang, whatever you want to talk about. Both are needed, but then there's there's points when one is absolutely not needed versus the other, and vice versa. And it's it's a matter of trying to work that out for yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if I were to ask, you know, like I made the joke, that which can be named is not the doubt. But if you were to say, like, what are some key qualities that like, you know, you talk about the Tao of the hammer, if there was um, uh, concepts that were really important to that. I know you had a post once talking about like as hard as a diamond, as flexible as a blade of grass. Um, is there any, um, <laughs> we just kind of talked about lists being more of the masculine, but is there any sort of kind of list or some core principles that you would uh, put with the idea of the Tao of the hammer and really just coaching movement in general? Um, so like what my suggestion is to learn from a Dow of Hammer perspective? Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I probably made that question way more complicated than it had to be. <laughs> no, it's okay. And plus it helps my brain too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my answer to that is, is awareness and intention and um, focus, that kind of thing. It's, it's for the athlete to set that in, in all of it has to do with the hammer. So the relationship with hammer and, and person. And if they, if, if athlete can, um, decide and kind of know that it's not athlete and hammer or athlete or hammer, or, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not two pieces. It's, it's one piece of the same system and doing that. And, and you kind of, you know, keep that, uh, focus alive to be able to to move with the thing because otherwise because what's normally taught is like you know do this drill for half hour and that drill for another half hour and then you got to follow these three things and this is how it's supposed to look based on this one guy who was five foot ten in the (laughs) 80s and he threw 86 meters and now you're supposed to do that even though you just started and you're throwing a 6k as opposed to 16 pound and you're six foot five right like all of these things like none of that matches up when you look at trying to learn something let alone do it well um and so and it's it's faith It's faith that kind of what you're doing is um, the best way to go about it for you as an athlete, and that, that's kind of where that's kind of where it ends for me. I think it's just like yeah, meditative awareness like around the hammer itself, and to try to tune tune out a lot of things where people are saying 
what it should be needs to be needs to look like yada yada <laughs> yeah it's almost like I, i've heard the idea um just speaking really philosophically i, I may have mentioned this on the show at some point and i'm probably gonna butcher it because it's been too long since i heard it but the idea that if you're um, speaking to a child or and a young child who's observing nature and as soon as you label something in nature and say this is this like you almost kind of limit their imagination and what could be the possibility of that thing and yeah. i feel like it's probably pretty similar with a lot of any sports skill that you could do um that actually that actually got me away from ba- i used to love baseball and pitching and uh i remember i just had a coach when i was like 10 or 11 who's like no stop doing it like that this is how you pitch and it flustered me so much that was the end of pitching and then i made yeah. a little comeback with javelin in college which was fun but uh, yeah it's 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 really um i i when you say meditative awareness maybe we can go into that because i think that again so many coaches view a skill and it's like okay you're going to do xyz um and again i'd actually like to talk about what you think about special strength too because that's been something that i've been thinking of with where does that fit in because that's a more masculine kind of thing it's a, a constraint it's a it's um but but I want to talk, ask you about that. But first, I guess like, when people say, well, how do you meditate, right? Like, well, it's awareness and breath, right? It's it's not, you're not sitting there looking at a list of, okay, I need to do, like, you just start with that awareness. And so, how can you explain a little bit more about the meditative awareness, meditative awareness and how that goes into the beginning of your uh, technique session or how that um, goes, or just how does that fit into your uh, technical acquisition for your athletes? Yeah, I mean, at at its core, it is kind of like you said, like it is, it's very simple. And so, so as an example, it could be walking up to the ring. I'll use myself as, as an example, walking to the ring. You know what I mean? I'm breathing. I'm feeling the air around me. Um, the, 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 my steps. I'm sitting down, I'm taking my shoe off, right? And it's like, it's it's just being intentional with my movement. And that in itself is meditation. Like it it does kind of, it does kind of get this bad rap, I think, or at least it's it maybe not a bad rap per se. It's just misunderstood. Um, whereas as it relates to like hammer and movement, I think it, it is as simple as that. And it's just trying, basically kind of opening yourself up to um really feeling what's happening with your body and space well in your mind too honestly as opposed to just kind of moving and and not knowing how you got there which in today's world especially with you know these giant computers in our pockets and social media like it, it just kind of ends up being that way um and so and there's a way to kind of slow that down and back it up and and just pay attention. Yeah, I think that would be just more mentally relaxing too versus, yeah, like you said, you have the computer in your pocket. And I, when I was coaching uh, track as a full-time, or full-time at college, when I started, I actually had no, I didn't, this was like not, almost, yeah, almost 15 years ago. And so it wasn't, smartphones weren't around yet. And to actually video people you had to get out the recorder and it was just so i just didn't do it <laughs> but at once i started getting my you know the phone and all the apps and stuff like that it's just it's so easy just to coach purely on a okay do the thing okay film it on the phone all right now what did it look like okay and again i think it's good for athletes to watch just to see but 
almost to have I sometimes I almost think it's better for them to see without you saying anything the coach saying anything <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and anyway so but yeah like you were saying it's just it, it with all the ways you can analyze from a quantitative perspective we just don't it just makes it almost pushes us more away from qualitative just yeah like you said having awareness having intention um it was the the inner game of tennis and uh, with timothy galway and then where, where he just talks about just just noticing just notice how the ball's spinning while it's coming into the racket um i've had coaches uh, and and that set me off on a, a quite a tangent but i've had coaches coach me in skills just saying just pay attention to your feet okay now pay attention to you know your your knees <laughs> your your thighs pay attention to your arms your trunk your spine like and just going almost through the whole series of all these joints and just by saying notice all these things they would like a lot of them would just clean up like on their own just like you draw attention you put awareness there and whatever was happening the body would kind of go in and and clean up the quality of that movement without without even thinking of what was good movement on my own end uh, you know as as the the performer of the movement uh right so as yeah i I think well and that's the other thing too is like the 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 individual there there is a there is an energy of, or a path rather of movement that feels good to them. And then when they hit it, they know it. So it's, it's, it's a perfect example of like something might feel amazing to an athlete. And I'm, I'm not talking about like beginners here, but like, even so maybe why not? Right. But like, you know, someone who's fairly seasoned and, and they end up doing something that feels great. Um, and then a the coach is like, no, like you did this, this, and this, and it's all like super superficial things that basically to the coach's eye, it didn't compare to that one guy he saw 30 years ago, that sort of thing. It just, I just kind of got to a point where I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I, that's something I've been thinking about a lot is, is with both performance. And then even like, I'm, I'm trying to get more into like the corrective world and which is a real deep dive into a lot of different ways joints work. And my, my brain works macro to micro way more than micro to macro. And my hack to it, at least as I've been thinking about it is, well, if I'm having an athlete do, I guess you would say, quote unquote, a corrective, like it should just feel good. Like it shouldn't feel hard. Like whatever they're doing, if if the thing they're doing feels too difficult uh, or clunky or mechanical, then maybe I'm not setting it up right. And <laughs> I think about... um or even just have, I like, I like doing a lot of work combining strength with basic, like hard balance disc, like hard point balance discs and thinking about letting the body choose a path that feels easy. And because mm-hmm. we just, it's almost like we are set up to say, well, it should feel hard. Like this should feel difficult. Like it's the learning process. And, and then the next thing that's invariable to come in, well, is, well, it might not feel good now, but just do it for like two months and then it'll be great. <laughs> and I, you know, yeah, and, as a means to justify like what the, what the coaches is saying like this is how it is it's gonna suck now but like you'll be good well okay um i don't know and 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 like and i feel like in recent in recent times with i can't really think of any well i'm sure they exist in in track and field events but like there's there's like some nfl there's quarterback examples right there's there's guys who have been quarterbacks and everyone's like oh their throwing motion sucks and it's like it looks like this he'll never survive um i'm not talking about tebow actually well whatever i won't i'm not talking about tebow (laughs) uh colin kaepernick is an example okay the the first few years 
with the, and four nine on my team. So I, so I have background here and, um, and they had some success. They had some really great success. And then they like kind of went to the lab. Right. And they were like, we're going to improve his QB mechanics and we're going to get him these QB gurus. And he's going to throw like a quarterback following your worst year ever. And like, yeah. and frankly, never got it back again. And then everything else that happened. Right. But like the, the, there was a direct correlation between them trying to make him throw like a quarterback, whatever that is. And his QB efficiency just, it was terrible. And that has happened with so many people. And, and honestly, it's mostly quarterbacks in, in football. Um, Donald Thomas, another example, high jumper. Yeah. You, you remember him? Oh, I jumped, jumper, right? him at, uh, yeah, I jumped against him at the national meet uh, when I was like yeah. a junior, senior. Yeah. My man wins worlds and it was 2007. This is my first world's team. Wins world beat Stefan Ohm from Sweden. And Stefan was pissed. Did you ever see the, uh, documentary that was basically of the two of them and like how this basketball playing guy comes and jumps really high and becomes a world champion Stefan Holm who's a machine right and gets beat and it just really anyway and next season it was like well this guy who just kind of showed up right we're going to teach him how to high jump <laughs> we're going we're to teach him how to really high jump but what happened like a few years where it was it was just not good again yes. and then I think eventually he kind of found his way and like he made a bunch more teams, but it's like, it's that same system where an athlete moves how they already move. And then they're told that's not how you should move. You need to do this. And we lose. So, so my point with that is like, we lose so many athletes to that because we're, because we have this one, one size fits all system that a lot of people are thrown into. And then there's some that have success, but, but like, the artists, like the masters that come out of that, like they just end up getting, you know, what's that attrition? Like they just, they just fall off never to be seen from again. Yeah. It's just another example, I think of painting something that should be a, a yin or a feminine with a masculine or a yang brush. And just, this is, yeah, I've heard that so many times when that person gets technique, they're going to be so good. It's like, yeah. Well, what do you mean by technique? <laughs> <laughs> And I was one of those athletes and I used to listen to it like, yeah, I need, I need better technique. Right. Like I, I was a really, I was a, you know, toot my own horn. I was a really great athlete trying to throw things. And, and when I went to with Dr. Bonachuk, I became a hammer thrower. <laughs> so like, you know, like with Judd, I felt like Superman. You couldn't tell him you couldn't do nothing to me <laughs> physically, Like I could do it all. And, and my hammer was like, okay. I mean, I was, I was good for the United States. I was either first or second every year I was with Judd. Um, and then it kind of occurred to me that like, but I'm not, I don't really want to do this to be the best in the U S right. And so, and that was kind of a driver to going with Dr. B and like when that happened, <laughs> I, I felt like I couldn't do anything else, but throw a hammer, but you know, that's, that's what I was training for. So like, I, it, I just find it funny. There, there was no complaint about it. I just find it funny where I went to feeling like I can do anything with my body to doing nothing but throw. <laughs> yeah. A gen, yeah. The generalist versus specialist type, type of topic. Mm -hmm. uh, so with, um, just like within the course of a session, if you have an athlete who 
is making, um, or I guess, you know, how do you define mistakes, right? Like an athlete is throwing and they're doing something that doesn't fit with um, like the bandwidth of a high level thrower and you want to move <clears throat> them there. Like what, what's the process of, of doing that? Would you try to find that in the special strength? Like I alluded, like talking about special strength, would you try to use uh, a different way of throwing to bring them back? Is there an awareness tool? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of ways, right? But like, what are some of the paths that you go down? Because I, I, this is important. I think people like to use hyperbole or create like these straw mans and say, oh, well, you don't believe in coaching techniques. So everything's just a free for all, right? And like, I mean, sometimes, yeah, maybe it should be a free for all, but not obviously there it needs to be at some point, uh, like ideally an intervention. And so what are some ways that you go about being mindful of how to intervene uh, with athletes who are outside of these bandwidths of what, um, good performers are utilizing um i think one of the, the lessons that i took from dr b is is being open to anything and education and observation so like it's kind of on me to just is to observe and experiment and and see what's up so i think at any given moment like there's probably several things that could be done to, to help the athlete. Um, whether that's a change in program, a change in how I speak to them, being more vocal with what I have to say about how they're throwing or stepping back, you know what I mean? And letting them kind of do it. So, um, this is kind of one of those answers where it's like, anything really sure, sure. <laughs> yeah how do you coach open-ended go yeah it's like it's it's open-ended and it but it's like it it for, for me i would kind of cycle through what i thought would be most effective and you know the roller deck if you will if those even exist anymore was like is is those pieces and then i just kind of feel my way with with what i think would work best that's kind of my answer <laughs> sure. Yeah. And may, maybe, uh, maybe I can share some of my own thoughts and you could like just piggyback or tell me what you think about these things. Um, I feel like I've kind of gravitated towards, yeah, like there's the awareness, like just be aware of this, you know, section or body part or whatever. There's like, yeah, the special, the do the, the, the thing a little differently option, like use a different, um, use a different implement, use a different surface, use a different, uh, slightly different objective. Um, and then, uh, like some rhythm based stuff. Like I like I playing with rhythms for different ground based things. I'm sure the hammer, there's a ton of things like that. Um, yeah. I like, so I, I like, um, like having an athlete do a part of the movement, say, feel this, feel what this, this feels like, and then go do the whole thing. Um, I mean, do you have any, uh, like, like getting beyond awareness? Like, do you use like any like contrasting things? Like you might have an athlete do a special strength and go back to the hammer or, um, is there anything you were, you'll use like contrasts, I guess is maybe I'll put it to that. Do you use any like contrasting sensory stimuli to, to help people with the hammer throw? I don't think I've, I'm pretty sure I've never done that, um, as a coach. And I don't believe I did that as an athlete either. Not, not from a hammer perspective, Okay, like in the gym, physically speaking. Yes. Um, now you got my brain going. I wonder if that would be something fun to do <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah let me know i'm, I'm but it's like <laughs> i mean i don't know maybe honestly maybe like kind of a little bit but i haven't spent much time doing it so like that would come down to like 
you know, a liner release or a putt release or some, some form of release that is meant to mimic either the entry of a hammer or um, the release of a hammer and then going into actually throwing again. So I guess, I guess somewhat I've done that a little bit with my last group. Um, and it's, again, it's more, the idea is to kind of help them to feel a little bit more tension, essentially like the tension that is present when they're, when they're connected in that way. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the hammer too, the hammer has got to be a tough one because it's just like, it, you have to get the body in motion and it's, it's circulating versus like I coached javelin for a while. I threw it. I blew my elbow up throwing it. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I, um, I would like, I feel like javelin wasn't too difficult to just teach, like to just rehearse the moment the plant, the front let block, like hits the ground. Like you can create that pretty easily. It's not like you don't have to have a huge body in motion to do that. And you can do it mm-hmm. rhythmically. And it's just, it's a lot simpler. I feel like to chunk like little pieces of some of the other throws or any sports skill. Whereas the hammer is this big spinning thing that has a lot already moving at any given time. It seems like it's a lot more whole versus some other sports skills can be be a little more part of the the whole system relatively speaking uh, at least that which is exactly why you know the, the the best the absolute best case scenario to improving the hammer is to just throw the hammer yeah um it, you know and that's kind of where the conversation begins and ends and then yes of course there are drills and things that you can do but like you know I'll get asked that question and like, what can I do to do this, bro? What can I do to do this throw? Cause, cause essentially people are asking. It's, it's one of those like leading questions that I used to be more, um, sensitive to and accommodate for, I guess. And now I just, I just kind of answer how I choose to answer, which is like, no, just do this, you know? And it's because, more often than not they're they're asking that question like either thinking they know the answer (laughs) or um expecting some form of drill for me to suggest for them to do to do the thing and it's and it's like a if you're a hammer thrower of, of any uh experience level like at this point in the game like you've already done all the drills. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, there's, there's no, there's no new drill that a hammer thrower is going to do. And it's kind of bingo. I've got it. Okay, great. Thanks. You know, um, you just, you just got to throw and you have to experience the whole thing together to, to, you know, figure out where feelings are and where they aren't. Yeah. It, the thing that I'm thinking of now is it's like drills can get you part of the way it they can get you part of the way, but as the complexity <laughs> level goes up, like there's just becomes a point where they're not, they can't. And I think about like a high jump takeoff or even the final, like the block of a javelin throw, like where you have this long rigid lever coming down into the ground at a very horizontal vector. And it's like, this is, you can't do this in like hurdle hops. Like the vector is totally different and you have too many moving pieces. You have the body working asymmetrically as well in these, this last plant step or a, a block. So it's not something you can do rhythmically and symmetrically either. And so it's, yeah, right. it's very hard to come up with drills to those things that are just so complex. And then it just gives me even more respect for those athletes who can do them. And that's what makes them elite because they kind of transcend the drills. <laughs> it's like, 
you, you have the drills and you have the athletes who transcend the drills. And I feel like the only way you get there is through the factors that are dig into more the yin, the feminine, the things that can solve the problem on the fly. And um, they require just massive levels of awareness and even um, almost like like risk aversion or not risk aversion, the opposite of that, like they're willing to take risk from a joint perspective and speed and velocity and those kind of things. Yes, that's precisely hammer. <laughs> yeah, what's that thing going <laughs> like? Like, you know what I mean? Like to like, how do you know when you're doing it right? Is like you're, I mean, you're teetering. You're on. You're on the edge. You're you're at the, you're at the edge. Um, and up until that point of of you know the push force, as I call it, up until that point feels generally pretty terrible. <laughs> and then and then you got it and then it's great right and then beyond that point it feels pretty beyond that point not that it feels terrible beyond that point is usually you know when you fall or you know something you know crazy happens yeah. but it's that's yeah that's hammer in a nutshell it's it's a ride yeah it'll, te- it, it'll it'll teach you stuff it'll teach you anything about everything <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everyone should. That should be part of uh, the general. I mean, I, I'm a strong believer that physical things should be a bigger part of educational curriculums because I think that physical things can teach you about things in life. But I can imagine with the hammer, <laughs> it's, it's if you're uh, if you're uh, uh, you know getting out of your comfort zone. I'm sure once that thing's spinning around, <laughs> you just yeah. see people go flying. Exactly. Well, and and that's just it too, right? So <clears throat> having already talked about like formerly being a, a really, you know self-described really really great athlete the hammer does not care (laughs) i was i was a really great athlete and like that hammer like it doesn't go just because you're a great athlete doesn't go just because you want to want it to go far you know what i mean like you got to work with it and you got to be part of it for 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 the most efficient results the, the maximum result yeah doesn't care how strong you are you can be enormously strong there's there's so many like People who are really, really, really strong and like, and can't throw a hammer any distance worth mentioning, you know, it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. That's why, yeah, that's one of the things that I really, I, I love about like what you're saying about the hammer and one of the things that really drew me to your philosophy too is so often we just try to, well, what's the solution? We'll just get stronger and then learn the, the fundamentals, quote unquote, aka the positions associated with the event better. And that'll get you better. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's gonna, that only works up to a, a point. And then beyond that point, you need something else to really like use all of your human machinery in the optimal way. Yeah. Uh, so I know we just got a couple of minutes left. I did want to um, feel free to answer this as short or long as you like. Um, but everything with the hammer and some things you've mentioned is uh, I wanted to ask you about reactivity. And I think a lot about the, the um, it's almost like you have the yang of conscious trying to volitionally do something in a skill. And then on the yin, you have you're reacting to something. And uh, tell me about like just reactivity and, in hammer throw. And how do you, um, is that anything you bring awareness to or anything you try to, um, um, make, I got to say make a big deal of, but like, is that something that, that comes up in your coaching sessions? Um, I think indirectly, yes. So like the way hammer is traditionally taught, and I would say all the throwing events is, um, it's active. Everything is active. Do this, do that. Or, you know, or don't do this, don't do that as if the brain doesn't 
hear that as do this, do that, mm. which is another conversation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so it's, it's, it's become clear to me in, in the last however long that the, the most efficient ways to move with the implement is, is, or uh, how do I say that to, to maximize like the power that's available, right? Like within the athlete, um, it doesn't, it doesn't come as well when they are actively trying to and hammer people say push, you know what I mean? And it's a, it's a very active thing to like, try to move the hammer and move the hammer, um, from a frankly, fairly egoic place i'm going to do this to this hammer therefore it's going to go far um and again for some people it works relatively well i come from the position of if there is a way to do it most efficiently that's the way i choose to do it um so even in this conversation, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not telling anyone to do anything. It's just, this is how I think of it. Here's a bit of a why. Um, I think it's amazing. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, carry on kind of thing. So the idea of kind of like, you know, doing nothing uh, as in like the DAO, um, that stems from, you know, the athlete is involved in setting up the throw and then, and then starting it. And for hammer in particular, when the hammer starts and then the, the orbit of the hammer starts going, then frankly, the athlete doesn't need to do anything else. Okay. So we're talking about the, the best picture scenario here with, with a throw and the hammer doesn't need to do anything else. And so when, when the system is going and the athlete doesn't do anything else, they are already in a stronger position to react and to move and to adapt to whatever it is that the hammer does as it screams around you in its orbit that makes sense so like basically by removing myself the hammer is free to do whatever it needs to do and i'm free to react to it so usually what's discussed as it, as it relates to like how a hammer turns with the body and whatnot is like how to step and where to step. Like you're, so as for a right, right, um, handed thrower, you're supposed to turn and then you got to step. People want to say step here, step there, step faster. And again, this is, these are the active cues that can be helpful to some people, but for the most effective throw, it's, 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 well, it's not, it's not the one. Um, and it's really interesting that that's the case. It's, it's just hammers full of paradoxes. Like it's up and down the board. It's, it's just all paradoxes. And so, you know, I'll share this, like, as an example, when I hear, I'll, I'll see coaches, you know, like you gotta, you know what I mean? You gotta get your foot off fast, off the ground fast. You can put it down fast. Well, video is there from any number of, of athletes that the athletes who are cued to do so and actually try to actively remove their foot from the ground and put it down fast 
in the name of the catch, right? The catch being like when the right foot comes down, you want the ball to be somewhere out in the sector. And when this happens, it's it's never it's never where they say the hammer's gonna be. <laughs> so it's another one of those situations where it like it dawns on me and I'm like, why the hell are we still saying this? It doesn't make sense. Hey, if you do this with your feet, your hammer is going to be a beautiful catch and into the sector. Yeah, but it wasn't. Okay. And then next throw, it's not. Next throw, it's not. And it's, it's not. And this is like, this is everybody. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's like thinking, I'm going to move my feet this way so I can catch my hammer this way. It never happens. It's actually late every time. And like, and you're essentially just kind of spinning around in circles. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's, bit of a tangent there but no, it's, no, it's okay it, it right when you were talking it got me thinking about that um in the movie i love you man where like jason siegel's trying to surf and paul rudd's like this hippie trying to instruct yeah. him he's like do less do nothing do less <laughs> do no nothing. no that was no that's too much stand up <laughs> i'll have to put that in the show notes i i really yeah. I, I i think about that often with the idea of doing nothing but i feel like hammer has got to be um I mean, I, I like something that I saw you, I think you wrote this on Twitter, but it's almost like you start the throw and then everything that you do you to the hammer or everything you are like trying to do to it from that point on is going to take away from the throw. And yep. mm-hmm. I, I love that because I think that that, I think the hammer, maybe if you look at the spectrum of passive versus active, like there's you know pa- forces, passive forces or active forces spinning around that you're a part of, maybe it's a little bit less in like a different track and field skill or a different human skill, but I think it's still there. It, it's, you know, definitely still there. And I, I just like the idea of taking your ego out of it and looking of your body or being like an observer of your body with the, whatever environment it is, maybe it's just your feet in the ground or, or whatever. But, and even, um, like even the first time I ever heard, I don't know when I was like maybe 25, I heard like the idea of sprinting, push the ground away in acceleration. And I was like, why would you have to tell an athlete to do that? Like, isn't that something your brain just does? Like, mm-hmm. isn't that something that's automatic? I mean, yeah, I'm sure, it, you know, there's some athletes that has to help out a little bit, maybe very muscle driven athletes or something like that, who that's their language. But I'm like, that can't be the best way to run, to have to tell the brain to act, you know, as a, you know, egoically against this. And not ego, like, you know, I have a big ego if I'm doing it, but just like me pushing against yeah. this thing versus embracing the timing and letting the body just work as a fluid a fluid um in fluid movement right well and yeah not to really belabor that but like for my personal philosophy too is like just is telling everyone the same thing but that also seems like nonsense like i don't understand <laughs> why you would coach everyone the same way train everyone the same way everyone's everyone's different mm-hmm. um yeah it it's so you know going back to hammer a little bit right like so when people talk about hammer and, and what should and shouldn't be this and that and because dr bonachuk was was so prevalent or is so prevalent in in the entire conversation both from like coaching wise and also just results is like I mean that that's just what he's talked about and and so the examples get to be well like you got to do it like this and then usually people you know traditionally talk about like yuri or sergey one being a three turner the other being a four turner and it's like okay that's great 
but like Dr. B didn't coach them the same. And, and, and so, and these are kind of bits that people don't really know or understand a, because of like the Soviet system and then it broke up and then he's also Ukrainian and everything else. And like, it's, it's not the same. And so when I had this conversation, I'm like, look, <clears throat> I was the, I think Dr. B is credited with like, I don't know, 13, 14, 80 meter guys or something like that. Some of them came through the system. I think he's credited with eight where he basically coached from, from fairly zero. I, I got to him with a 75 meter PR. Okay. So, but my, my point is like, between eights and 13, 80 meter guys, right? 80 meters is gold standard and hammer throw. Not a single one of us looked the same. Mm. He allowed for everybody's individual ness again to come through and, <laughs> and everyone threw really far based on like what it is that we were either good at or allowed the ball to do or, or you know, whatever else. <clears throat> excuse me, as opposed to people who are just like, this is the system. This is how I coach. And you can see it too, right? Like there, there was coaches out there where every one of their kids look the same. Come on. And it'll work for, you know, maybe 20% of them. And then the rest of them either just kind of wash out or just absolutely never reach their potential. They're just kind of throwing, you know? Yeah. The 20% um, succeeded who that, that model fit, fell, uh, fit what they were. <laughs> the 80% it didn't as, yeah, never going to reach their potential. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of sad because thinking, thinking beyond the sport itself, like the part of that journey and like self-discovery and, and all of that is being able to um, grow, to tap into all that. Um, and got a bit of a pet project where that's kind of that's kind of my angle when it's like it's it's one of those things in life and in, in, in art that you choose it, it, you can choose anything but um when the i don't know i guess like the opportunity basically is kind of stripped from you then like you lose that opportunity to to learn about yourself um maybe we could do a follow-up <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I'm, kind of, I was, I'm kind of just thinking that out loud i'm like yeah that's kind of good <laughs> no that was good yeah like oh absolutely i was even thinking with my son who's three like when i tell him to do you know to to pl have his feet planted i devoid him of the opportunity to learn you know the consequences of stepping or how to self-correct and everything that goes with that and into life i mean there's dude there's so much yeah. that we could so many ways we could take this i i know you're out of time here uh i would love to keep the conversation going but um, thank you so much, Kibway, for being on the show. You will have to, in the meantime, before we hopefully talk again in the near future, we do another podcast. If you do that experiment on a young, a very young hammer thrower and just let them spin the ball around and see what happens, I, I would be really interested in the results of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I'll do that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, hey, I appreciate your time today. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is great. Thanks for tuning in with us to another episode. We'll see you next week.